0: dot com. Welcome to Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors. Today, I have a really cool guest, Mr. Ian Montgomery, who is the founder and creative director for Guacamole Airplane. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Corey. How are you? I, I've heard amazing things about you and your company and your agency, uh, whatever we call it. And I, I can't wait to talk about what you guys do. Can, can you, can you tell us how you got started into kind of sustainable packaging in this world?
1: Oh, absolutely. Before I even get started, I'll say we, we love your TikTok here. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Thank you, but, sir. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably like yourself and like most people, most people have sort of a roundabout way into packaging. When I was young, I was interested in art and design. I liked making things and was also interested in environmental issues. I grew up surfing and sort of ocean connection. And I went to college and I studied environmental science. and I loved that way of thinking the research and, you know, that style of asking questions, but I I didn't want to be a traditional research scientist. So after school, I got a job working as a graphic designer for um, a clothing company that was really small, but growing quite quickly. It was called Chubby Shorts and I was the only designer. Yeah. Yeah. Funny (laughs) brand. And I was their only designer at the time for a couple of years. So I was working on all sorts of different types of design from, you know, clothing, whether it's woven labels or silk screened and their website and email campaigns and in-person events. But the most interesting thing to me was their packaging. Like it was really such a cool challenge. It was, you know, a three-dimensional thing that you interact with and a two-dimensional canvas for art. And it was kind of like a wild time, a wild time for packaging nerds. Maybe it was like (laughs) 2012 or 2013 when all those like direct to consumer online brands were coming out and all of these brands were trying to replace like the really great experience you'd have at a brick and mortar store with packaging. So it was like, we were looking at Warby Parker and Bonobos and all of those early e-commerce brands, like, wow, they're creating such a great experience. But then there's that question of like, a lot of these are pretty wasteful. Like there's quite a bit of packaging you don't really need. So, And then also in the clothing world, we were using a ton of poly bags. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to Look for alternatives. And at that time, and with the people I, I was talking to, we, we really weren't able to do it. It was really frustrating, but the, the question kind of kept uh kept nagging at me. But I stayed working in packaging. I went um, to work as a packaging designer for a home goods brand called Areaware, doing production art and die line development for them. And, you know, like most people had a bunch of random jobs, but one really ended up at forming packaging. I, I worked at a paper making studio for a little while in New York, making some and all sorts of fun, blue, blue jeans. It was great. It was super fun, but I eventually had the, a, a really lucky opportunity to go to graduate school and at Pratt in New York, and they have a packaging design program. That's like very much in the art school style. It's not so much a oh, wow. um, packaging engineering degree, like Michigan state or anything like that but it was it was really cool it was pretty open ended you had you know most of your time there to work on a self directed thesis and myself and my friends we really used that time to experiment with the materials that could potentially make up the future of packaging you know a decade out and so working a lot with mushroom based alternatives to foams and chitin and seaweed based films and built a series of recycling machines based off these plans from a group called precious plastic in the netherlands that you could run recycled plastic through or bioplastic wow. i'll over to them in a minute there it's kind of our studio is a little messy right now but <laughs> we built an injection molder and a shredder and extruder and we're running all sorts of things through them but had a really really great time and after all that wanted to set up an agency that combined that environmental science wave research and thinking with The service is more traditionally offered by a a design agency, not so much focused on branding, but really focused on, on packaging design and development.
0: It's, it's amazing how many people have been on this podcast. I think I've had 40 something episodes now, a huge percentage of you guys are surfers (laughs) and, and you let, you know, Sam Bowie from FlexiHacks, John from Cruise Foam, you guys, you guys are saving the world. And I, I want to thank the surfing community from me. Uh, oh, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. We might right. say we're saving the world, but we're floating in the ocean on these toxic surfboards, <laughs> doing everything we
1: can to fly around the world to get waves. But maybe oh, it's the guilt that drives us to this work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, at least some of what you do is beneficial. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was really stoked to interview Sam Bowie from Flexi Hex and, and John from uh, Cruise Foam. You got, oh, it's, bet. yeah so it's it's a cool community i'm impressed that's good
1: not all derelicts
0: (laughs) right 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 so tell us about guacamole airplane such a cool name you can tell us the origin story if you're not tired of telling us the origin story of the name Uh, but tell us what you do How, how do you how does it work yeah.
1: So we're, we're a small agency, you know, the, the team right now, or there's five of us for some mixed part-time and full-time and about probably a little bit more than half of our work is packaging design with an eye towards sustainability. So we'll work with brands or businesses that, you know, might have a packaging challenge, something that's they they want to ship out or something that's, that's in development and really go through a, a traditional structural packaging design development process with them. Perhaps the only difference although hopefully it's becoming more common is at the beginning we really do a lot of research and alignment on sustainability we'll we'll compose our sustainability goals in tandem with our design goals and we'll do an industry-wide material audit of materials that make sense and beyond materials we'll we'll look at you know strategies we can use whether it's the product lends itself to a reusable packaging model or you know if if it's really something that we should be focus on focusing on removing plastics from everywhere we can, or or if it's something that, you know, we should really focus on slimming down volume and weight or, or some combination of the three. And then we we move towards uh, you know, a manufacturing ready die line or set of die lines or set of files. We don't do branding in the sense that we're creating new brand lines or brand guidelines for clients, but we traditionally work with a client's existing set of brand guidelines and kind of work to create brand moments and have those details manifest in our packaging. So we have uh, two junior graphic designers on on staff that are just lovely, They're, they're wonderful. And then kind of the other portion of our work is sustainability consulting. We'll do that with brands that might have hundreds or thousands of SKUs beyond something that we can just go through and do one by one. There's no way it would be possible. No one would be able to. But sort of helping them come up with a sustainability strategy or a roadmap or something really actionable and helpful for them that they can move whole product categories towards, whether that's looking at at what they can do immediately or in certain cases we've created roadmaps for companies of what the next five and ten years should look like in terms of their pilots and, and manufacturing partners they should sync up with.
0: That's amazing. So a company, say they set a goal in by 2025 or 2030, we're going to be, we're going to have this level of PCR in our content. We're going to, we're going to be more sustainable, whatever that metric is for them. You guys can help them get to that level. Is that what you're saying?
1: We're seeing that more and more. That's, that's pretty much exactly what you described is, is often the starting point of these conversations. And there's usually a little bit of alignment of like, okay, let's make sure that goal is the right goal. And let's talk through a few others that that might be worth thinking through. And then, yeah, that's exactly right. Whether working with like, you know, existing technologies that we can scale at the moment, or, or we keep a close eye on manufacturers that maybe they're not at like the art school level experimental, but they're experimental in the sense that they've got some funding and they're working towards a pilot plant. We'll keep an eye on, you know, who those organizations are and, you know, help, help compose a timeline of, of, when it makes sense to, to bring the right partners in.
0: Well done. You, you have a real reputation in the industry of being one of the leaders in sustainable packaging. And I've always been impressed with what you do and your, your company does. So thank you for, for that work.
1: Oh, oh thanks for saying that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not an easy thing. I'm going to ask you some big questions here and, you know, do your best to answer kind of in, in what fits within your, your niche here. What what do you think is the role of government and, and the consumer in sustainable packaging? So that's two questions separately.
1: Oh, that's a great one, and I'd be curious to get your take on it too. Yeah. I think as as we think through it, everything, all of our projects sort of lie at this crossroads of you know who makes it, whether that's the brand or the manufacturer or both, who ultimately gets the packaging and decides what to do with it, the customer. And then the infrastructure that's in place around recycling or reuse. And, you know, traditionally that's the role of the government, although like TerraCycle and G2 and these companies that are out there probably doing it much better than the government ever did. But um, it's so whether you call that infrastructure question, infrastructure government, who knows, but that's, uh, that feels like the, such the, The real missing piece. I mean, I I understand that Europe and Oregon and Oregon has had like deposit laws for longer than anywhere in the U.S., and it seems like there's some great things going on there. But infrastructure is really critical in providing like economically viable pathways for whatever type of packaging we're creating to have a second life, whether it's you know becoming a new material as you know viable compost or like you know following some of the waste to energy models that, that are over in in Scandinavia. And, you know, I I think the U S is a lit, not amazing, not horrible. Like, you know, it's, we just need more plastics are the tough one. I think like if, if we could have more investment in plastic film recycling and move yep. towards having plastic films have some value. And, you know, that's probably a mix of designing value into the plastic and then having the right machinery to to sort and, and reuse plastic films available to most people. The EPR laws are, are super interesting and it's cool to follow the plastic taxes that are coming online in the UK and in other places. You'd hate to see those manifest as like higher prices. For things like food for the average working family or something so it's all like oh man you don't want to create any unintended consequences but um kind of at the crux of it is just like yeah val i guess the word value like you want enough value to be designed into whatever you're making so that there's a pathway that makes sense you know enough that it can be sold for per ton to to get reclaimed. And then you want, you want that system to work. And that's where government and infrastructure comes in. It's, it's cool to see the, you know, more conversations around this with with the break free from plastic bill, but that would probably be our dream job is consulting (laughs) with the U S government on the next 10 years of infrastructure planning. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) I love that word value. And I think it's so critical to the future of sustainable packaging. You mentioned Oregon's bottle bill. We were the first state to assign a value to a waste stream, to recyclable or more recycled. And the bottle drop system that we have now even has reusable glass bottles that are 10 cents and you bring them back and then they're washed and cleaned and uh, reused. And so that I think Oregon and st- other states like Maine have have proven that, that that's feasible. I, I love that you're also talking about assigning value to materials because my friend Chandru runs a, a recycling facility in South Africa. They just launched their EPR, extended producer responsibility for the listeners, Bill. And he said, recycled PET is so valuable now that he has to import it. From other countries oh oh my goodness so they've gobbled up all the supply and if if that continues recycling will become not only necessary but valuable
1: absolutely and then it's for for designers to have an awareness of that for designers to understand okay like if we have to have to use plastic we know that if we use clear pet or clear white hdpe you know, there's the demand for that, and it's going to get recycled, and and people like your friend, who run MRFs, are going to, you know, want to buy it and pay pay a premium for it. But if you're looking at polystyrene or polypropylene or you know any dark tinted PET, that that value isn't there. You know, and yeah. it's not it's not worth designing things that you know aren't going to have a have a pathway forward to be reused.
0: Totally. And he said one of the cool consequences was Sprite, which is a Coca-Cola brand. Uh, I'm sure you know. They changed from green to clear. Oh, just, that's cool. Yeah, just because the green was hard to recycle. So simple changes like this, we all know it's Sprite. We all know that the label means it's Sprite. You know, it's a it's a, a very popular drink. <laughs> so why can't they use clear bottles, right? And then those become more recyclable and more sought after by people like Sean Drew. So. Oh, that's a great story. That's cool. It's huge change. And it's, and it's, I think you're right. The government has to step in and say, listen, guys, this is what we're going to do. Okay. Everybody on board. All right. Yeah. Let's let's do it.
1: <laughs> How do we do so, it? If How- we had a 15 year plan of what our infrastructure looked like in terms of composting, recycling and waste of energy. Oh my gosh. Our jobs would be
0: easier. A hundred percent agree. I I'm talking to people at different companies like, like, like Dow specialty packaging or specialty plastics, they're working on multi-layer plastics that are all the same material. So instead of having an 11 layer plastic, that's, you know, 27 different materials (laughs) that can never be recycled. This will be fully recyclable in the future. And like you said, how do we make it valuable? Well, we make it recyclable. We make it reusable. It's exciting to me what's happening.
1: Oh, that sounds like a fantastic project. That's great.
0: Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. What is the role of manufacturers like, you know, the the extended producer responsibility? We talked about that. What is the role of the manufacturer in sustainability?
1: To be honest, I've been blown away by U.S. manufacturers. I don't think that was the case when I started my career, but like, yeah, I think most, if not yeah, a huge majority of U.S. manufacturers know that brands are looking for sustainable solutions, and customers want sustainable solutions. So they've made the effort to invest in partnerships or invest in tooling up their manufacturing okay. to work towards you know plastic-free solutions or innovative types of molded fiber. And I, I think it's like such a you. I would be curious to get your take on it. But from my perspective, it's such a Exciting time for US packaging manufacturing. Not the things everyone gets excited about, but it's cool to us. <laughs> um, you know. I've just blown away as I did like get emails from reps at manufacturers. Like, hey, we've got, you know, we got this new line of check it out. We'll send you some samples. It's, you know, and it's purely because they're excited about the sustainability of it is, is such a, a wonderful thing.
0: I agree. My my friend Adam Peak likes to call us packaging nerds, and, <laughs> and I've I've fully embraced that that name. Yeah, I, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but we are, and you know what's cool is people outside of packaging, outside of our world, are getting excited about this. I'm getting calls from you know aunts and uncles and you know cousins like, hey. This is really cool. Have you seen this? You know, or I'll get a picture. Like have you seen this kind of packaging? Isn't it more sustainable? <clears throat> so, really cool. Exciting oh, to see. Absolutely. Yeah. So, another big question. Do you think we should be focusing more on recyclable packaging or more on compostable packaging?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The short answer is recyclable and then with an eye towards if we do have more like waste energy incineration in the next decade or so, then we can revisit that conversation, but there's like nuance to it. And I guess it goes back to what we were just talking about with valuable, it's like recyclable, as long as there's enough value in the resin or the material to, to be economically viable and recycling, like aluminum has so much value. So those aluminum cans are going to be recycled with paper as well, as long as it's not coated with all sorts of gunk. And you know, the clear PET you were just talking about, but other plastics, not so much composting is interesting. You can use that like value way of thinking in the same way. Like there's not too much value in terms of nutrients to a composter or a farmer. If you just have some hard PLA that's going in there, it's going to be kind of tough to break down and not really provide anything to the soil. It's in a composter's best interest to just sift that stuff out anyway. But if you're right. thinking through like a seaweed film, that's designed to be nutrient rich. Oh my gosh, that composter should love that. That's amazing. And that's right sell that as nutrient rich compost to local farms or vineyards or whatever and they're thrilled. So yeah, it's you know every every situation is different. We we stick away from compostable packaging in most of our applications with the exception of anything that's you know holding food and it's going to be a vessel that delivers food waste into the composting stream then it seems like a, a better option.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If it's already soiled by food, then the film should probably focus on a compostable in life that makes a lot of sense because who's going to wash it you know that's unlikely
1: absolutely but there are exceptions like where there's some of the materials that are pretty rapidly compostable like that i know you're familiar with the green cell foam or some of the mushroom based foams which yeah, kind of have to break down a little bit to be compostable but we have projects that are working with those things as well and you know we think they're great as long as they go beyond just the u.s you know ASTM D6400 standard, and they, they really right. can break down more rapidly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Can you tell us about a recent project that Guacamole Airplane has done that you're excited about, like a brand that you worked with or, or something, or is so that kind of confidential? Good stuff
1: <laughs> cooking. I can probably tell you either the names of the brands or the projects, but probably not both. Sure. <laughs> reference. Oh, that's up to you. Whatever you're comfortable with. I think it's kind of cool hearing about what they are. We're working with a big electronics company on like they're calling it their 2030 moonshot goals, but it's not a moonshot. We're like, it's very practical. You can do this. <laughs> that's the one sort of we were mentioning earlier, like working through what their timeline to, you know, carbon for carbon negative and plastic free production looks like across you know all of their different types of electron. We're working with it. We don't normally do influencer or seeding projects, I'm sure you're familiar with those, but we, we took on one recently for a shoe project because they're really excited about using it as a showcase for kind of next generation sustainable materials. So totally different way of thinking. Big, can, We can spend a little bit more money than usual per package and, and really create something <laughs> with a fun user experience. We're working with a tile company to ship out tile samples Traditionally, they're using a ton of foams and plastics, and we're going for a, a plastic-free solution that really has a nice unboxing experience when someone gets their tile samples working with. There's all sorts of stuff cooking, but yeah, those are those yeah. are our exciting ones at the moment.
0: <laughs> it is exciting what can be done with paper, molded pulp, oh and, and FlexiHex, and, you know, Giami. These kinds of brands and, and materials are fascinating what oh. they... What, what how, how strong they are. I don't know if you saw the TikTok video where I dropped a bottle of wine from 11 feet in the air. of oh, the little <laughs> yeah. wine. Oh, cool. It, it survived <laughs> 11 feet in the air. <laughs> what? Sam from FlexiHacks challenged me to get up to 12 feet. He's like, I dropped it from, you know, he said, I dropped it from four meters. And I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's go. That goes uh,
1: above and beyond anything that's going to happen to it in the mail. So you're safe after 11 feet. <laughs>
0: But people will question whether sustainable options are people know that styrofoam works, but
1: it's not going to be
0: strong or it's going to be more
1: expensive all the time. And it's, as you're familiar with, it's kind of, it's a cool challenge as a designer, especially in those projects, maybe aren't big budget ones, but it's like, how can we be real clever with paper folding cartons or whatever to just lock this stuff in? those are some of our favorite challenges.
0: I love that. Blocking, embracing, having a cool um, user experience at Landsberg Aurora, we call it. It's the promise of what's inside. Love that. That's uh, cool. (laughs) The opening experience is packaging is cool. You know, it's so awesome what what we can accomplish as a design team and as a packaging company for, you know, end users.
1: Absolutely. I, I fully agree. Awesome.
0: So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Ian, and and Guacamole Airplane?
1: Guacamole Airplane is on LinkedIn. You can just search Guacamole Airplane or on Instagram, Guacamole Airplane, or you can email me, Ian, I-A-N, at guacamoleairplane.com.
0: Awesome. I'd like to thank Landsberg Aurora for your sponsorship of this podcast. For the listeners, please take a minute to review and share it with your friends so we can continue to tell society about sustainable packaging. Thank you so much, Ian. This has been a great episode. Thank you, Corey. This episode is sponsored by SpecRite, the first purpose-built platform for specification management. So much has changed when it comes to packaging and there's a new book to help you stay ahead of the curve The Evolution of Products and Packaging written by longtime packaging executive Mr. Matthew Wright helps you unpack industry trends and explains how you can use data to drive packaging innovation and sustainability Download your free copy today at specright.com/book that's s p e c r i g h t.com/book